Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, it's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self discovery one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. Lisa Laflamme. She's long been a household name in her native Canada, where she worked for CTV for 35 years. I felt you should hear this directly from me. On June 29th, I was... But last summer, she became the face of female outrage when she was unceremoniously let go from her job, anchoring the evening news. I was blindsided and I'm still shocked and saddened by Bell Media's decision. It was denied by her employers, but viewers and fans couldn't help but wonder if choosing to go gray was behind her pink slip. I was super jazzed to talk to Lisa, And it turns out we have a lot in common. In fact, she was once called Canada's Katie Couric in one article. When it came to her firing, she couldn't get into details for legal reasons. But we still had plenty to talk about. If you want to get smarter about your career, make sure to check out Wake Up Call at Work, a brand new newsletter by Katie Couric Media. Brought to you by Think with Google. We'll be delivering fresh stories on all things business tech and navigating the modern workplace. Follow me on LinkedIn to make sure you never miss an edition. Are you battling cancer? I'm passionate about raising awareness about early detection. And it's also critical to understand all treatment options, especially their impact on survival and quality of life. ViewRay has reinvented cancer treatment with Meridian MRI-guided radiation therapy, where nearly 80% of patients complete treatment in as few as five sessions, often with little or no side effects. Innovation like Meridian gives hope to millions of people around the world. Locate a Meridian at ViewRay.com. Um, if you can bring your screen down just a, a bit. How's that? Yeah. That's now perfect. let's get that's to perfect. it. Hi, Lisa. I'm so excited to be doing this. Thank you so much. I know we got a million things to talk about, woman. We really do, right? So, um, gosh, I've been reading about you and 
and talking about you and listening to other people talk about you. I guess I'll start with the the most typical question is that you're never supposed to ask, but how are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm a little jet lagged. I've just come back from a, a great month in Africa working for Journalists for Human Rights on women's issues, actually, uh, for journalists and female politicians and teenage girls who are victims of rape and end up pregnant and uh, become outcasts. Social worker Purity Gikunda has made it her mission that teenage mothers, victims of rape and abuse as young as 10, are back in class. She founded Greenland Schools Education. It's been an incredibly full, uh, inspiring, emotional, and fulfilling month to be able to cover these stories for Journalists for Human Rights. And um, so how am I? I'm good. Obviously, your story, Lisa, created a firestorm, and you became the story, which no journalist really likes. How uncomfortable were you that the whole world, or at least a lot of us, were talking about you? Well, the support obviously has been enormous globally. I realize that journalists, we are a support system, which I might not have known about. And women support women, which is huge. For me, that has been a great comfort, really, at a time of change. August 15th of last year, you recorded something for your audience explaining what had happened and really thanking your viewers for their support. I want to I want to play that real quickly, or at least part of it. Today, with a range of emotions, I'm sharing with you some information about me and my career with CTV News. For 35 years, I have had the privilege of being welcomed into your homes to deliver the news on a nightly basis, so I felt you should hear this directly from me. On June 29th, I was informed that Bell Media made a, quote, business decision to end my contract, bringing to a sudden close my long career with CTV News. I was also asked to keep this confidential from my colleagues and the public until the specifics of my exit could be resolved. That has now happened, and and I want you to know what these last 35 years have meant to me. Everything. Gosh, Lisa, when you listen to yourself say those words, I, I can only imagine what you're feeling. For you and I both, covering sudden change is what we've always done. Let's face it. You never know when you wake up what's going to have happened in the world. So I was a very adept at covering sudden change. And I put everything in perspective. Uh, so this happened. And then my own sudden change gets, as you said earlier, no journalist wants to be part of the story or the story, but it's all perspective for me. You know, I've seen Canadian and U.S. soldiers and British soldiers have their legs blown off in Afghanistan. I've seen babies born in tarpaulins in, in Haiti. Really, that's the sudden change you don't come back from. And I put everything in perspective. I always have, including this. So I don't linger. <laughs> I look forward and I have to because I am an optimist. You had two years left on your contract, Lisa. 
Do you have any better understanding about how it happened, why it happened, and why it was handled the way it was handled? You know, the company has said, or a company spokesperson has said repeatedly that your age, your gender, your gray hair played no role in this decision. Help me unpack this, if you could, within the parameters that you are able to discuss it in. Honestly, everything I wrote and said in the tweet stands. It was a business decision. What do we do? We're in this industry that we both love. We know business decisions happen every single day. People lose their jobs every single day. And uh, many of my dear friends in this industry have lost their jobs. So that's the nature of the industry is change. And it is a very changing industry right now, as we both know. So as I said, optimism is my default position. Although I would say cynicism and optimism sort of are dance partners in my brain. <laughs> I'm going to give optimism the lead, as I always do, because that's, you know, the alternative isn't as pleasant. This incident struck such a chord among so many women. It smacked of just terrible ageism and sexism and a double standard that so many women have had to deal with. Certainly, I feel like I've had to deal with that my whole career. Let's speak then in generalities because we've both you know, been in this industry a long time and we know lots of women who have also been in it. And uh, we call it ageism, um, which is uniquely attached to women in general terms. We don't talk about ageism when it comes to men. And I think that's an important distinction to make. As a society, we should address this clearly. I think in broadcast journalism, men are allowed to age and look distinguished. But when women start to show their age, it's jarring and off-putting and considered, you know, not appealing to an audience, which is so infuriating, honestly. And I think part of it is because we don't have real role models of women being allowed to age naturally on television. And people like Anderson Cooper can have white hair, the same color as your hair, and be called a silver fox. But when it happens to a woman, it's a whole different ballgame. Although I'm going to tell you, when this process started for me, which, by the way, decades ago that I started going gray and I've been coloring my hair forever, it feels like. In fact, you started going gray in your 20s, right? Yeah, I did. I, I did. And I had very dark hair and you get used to coloring your hair. And I remember being tired of it. Well, many, many times over the years, especially when I was in specific like war zones and you realize, oh, God, I've, I've got three weeks. That's the window. We have three weeks before the roots start being obvious when you have really dark hair. I reached my max was when obviously the pandemic, uh, all of the salons were closed in Toronto and you're just you're covering like the weirdest, craziest story you've ever covered. And that and I am not kidding. 
all of a sudden on a Friday, the city is shutting down, the world is shutting down. You're looking what's happening at in Wuhan and in Parma, in Italy. And the last thing you're thinking about is your hair. So I, one Saturday morning in the very early days of the pandemic, obviously three weeks in, I just couldn't do it anymore. And that was it. And I remember very vividly being, you know, a few months in and it is ugly. I mean, we all know it is not pretty. To have a racing stripe or look like a skunk. Yeah. <laughs> and I was in the dog, my dog park here and a woman on a Saturday morning, she took her, it was almost like a Mary Tyler Moore moment. She took her beret off. She said, I'm with you, Lisa. And she had the whole skunk going on. And I don't know. I just thought it was good. Although I wish I could have worn a beret on the, for the news. Well, let me ask you as a practical matter, how did you deal with that uh, transition from dyeing your hair every three weeks to letting it become, by the way, the beautiful head of white hair you have now? You're very, you're very kind. Um, time. And um, all of a sudden, it was done. There was a massive amount of email and tweets, rather. But it was largely positive because people were going through the same thing. Did you get any negative feedback either from within <laughs> your company or outside the company? I'm curious what people were saying and, and writing about. Well, I mean, obviously, there were... Uh, I don't know if you're the same as me, but you seem to remember the negative uh, comments, sadly, more. <laughs> I think that's pretty much human nature. I think everyone's like that. So, yes, there were some negative comments, but actually laughable, to be honest with you. I learned a long time ago to laugh at the people who had all this wide open criticism of any woman on TV, on Twitter. Okay, buddy, thanks. But, you know... I would say the mass majority inside and outside was positive. And I, I remember thinking at one point, I guess, like, you've gone too far now. You know, you get to this point and you're like, okay, you're, you're three inches on either side of the part. <laughs> you're not going back. <laughs> and so how did the people at the station or your, uh, at your network, how did people at CTV respond to it? Did you get any inkling that this was a problem. Not at all. Po totally positive. Um, totally positive. My female colleague, my male colleagues, by the way, we have had a very dear, the show producer who I used to call Anderson Cooper because he went prematurely gray. And he's like, you're in the club, you're in the club. When we come back, Lisa lets it rip when it comes to Don Lemon's remarks about women in their prime. Are you or a loved one battling cancer? I'm passionate about raising awareness about the importance of early detection and for patients and their caregivers to fully understand all available treatment options, especially those that have meaningful impact to extending survival and improving quality of life. You know, too often the length of treatment, recovery period, and debilitating side effects can be difficult to cope with. Our partners at ViewRay have reinvented cancer treatment with Meridian MRI-guided radiation therapy. For those who qualify, around 80% of patients complete treatment in as few as five sessions, often with little or no side effects. 
ViewRay is working to educate patients about this life-changing cancer treatment and where patients can find a Meridian Treatment Center. Innovation like Meridian gives me hope for the millions of people around the world currently battling cancer. So talk to your doctor. To find hospitals where Meridian is available, visit ViewRay.com. Hey everyone, it's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. How can we support women as they age in a whole host of fields? We've got voices and platforms and ways of expressing how we feel when we see this kind of misogyny and sexism. We just have to keep, you know, naming and shaming, I guess, to try to expose a patriarchal society that, I mean, I'm not kidding you. I was in Tunisia where we were working on stories about, believe it or not, normalizing the idea of women on TV normalizing the idea of women politicians. So we in North America, we actually have made enormous strides, obviously, but it's clearly there's hurdles. And I guess it's just the support. It's the support network that we just can't let our side down. There was so much support for you from women everywhere and many men as well. 
who thought you were treated very shoddily, it sort of makes me mad that they didn't reverse their decision or we're not seeing you on another network delivering the evening news. What more can be done to make sure the message is being heard loud and clear and that people are voting with their remote controls? I will say in general terms in society, we don't realize or recognize or utilize the voice we have as consumers in this world, especially where we are. And I, and I, I mean, I'm not going to speak about my own situation because I, I can't. But I will say these things over time make a difference. Well, people, I don't think, realize how much power they have. You know, when certain people boycott certain networks, they pay attention. And if they galvanize consumers to boycott a network, that can have a real impact. I am, uh, no pun intended, but I'm always looking for silver linings. I always <laughs> was, if, and, I, and I still am. So I think that that is an important thing for people to address. But in general, the subject of ageism is something we shouldn't let our guard down. I mean, I look so much to, you know, indigenous cultures where it's the elders, the, the knowledge keepers we look to as our guides. And in other cultures, it's women of a certain age become was it Jermaine Greer who called us crones at a certain <laughs> age? That's something we we can keep working to change. And it, as I said before, you you just keep calling something out. This is not about my situation. As I said, this is about women in general, and it's not something that just mattered to me recently. This is an issue of sexism and ageism, um, any anything ending in an ism, to be honest, has been something that has been worth focusing on, analyzing, and determining the veracity of it, if I can put it that way. I agree, except for feminism. That's a good ism. That's a great ism, <laughs> speaking of Germain. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about sexism, though. You know, I think you and I got into the news business around the same time. Um, I'm a little older than you are, but do you feel that it's changed dramatically? Because I joke in speeches that I got into TV news when harass was two words instead of one. <laughs> and when people said that I lacked gravitas when I did the CBS Evening News, I said I later discovered that is actually Latin for testicles. So I guess <laughs> I guess I'm wondering, do you think that it's changed. I mean, there's certainly many, many more high-profile women in television news, both on camera and behind the scenes in executive positions than there were when I started out by far. So do you think strides have been made? And what kind of bullshit did you have to deal with, Lisa, early on in your career? I'm just curious. Mm, probably the same bullshit you had to deal with because First of all, top answer, absolutely, we've made strides. I mean, I remember begging to go to Baghdad 23 years ago, whatever it was. Now women are assigned. They're women and men in an assignment desk doesn't decide based on gender. So that's huge. 
you grow a thick skin early on as a woman in this industry. So you have to learn to wear that thick skin. Our first obligation is always to the truth and never to those people trying to tear us down. But, you know, it's been um, a journey of beautiful progress for women. But growing up, and certainly as a young reporter, no, Barbara Walters really was the one. Diane Sawyer, 60 Minutes, I remember vividly watching, thinking, okay, but I'm serious. There was, there were very few. I feel like progress has been made. And then I hear someone like Don Lemon making a bonehead remark on CNN about women in their prime. Let's listen to what Don had to say. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that, I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What are you talking about? That's not according to me. Prime so for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got another. I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that. Well, you know, politicians aren't in their I think prime. You need, need to qualify. To are you talking about prime for like childbearing? Lisa, I know Don Lemon, and is he 185 years old? <laughs> no, he's he's actually a nice guy. I think maybe he was trying to be provocative or maybe he was reacting to ageism by Nikki Haley with sexism. Again, those isms, probably not a good idea at all. But what was your reaction when you when you heard what he had said? Well, again, it's all through the prism of the moment. And I was in Africa when that happened. And I had just been talking to a female politician, the first Arab woman ever to become the mayor of a major Arab city. And uh, I do the interview, I go back and I'm checking, oh, why is Don Lemon trending? I'm not joking. I was gobsmacked at the idiocy of that comment. I replayed it. Did I just hear that? There was a... um, sanctimonious quality to the Google it part that I just was stunned at. And I, I'm exhausted by the sort of the heads against the brick wall nature of a comment like that. Obviously he wouldn't have said it if he didn't feel there was some kind of acceptability in society to make a comment like that. And that is a sad statement. I don't know the man, I do not know him, but I know that that comment gave me enormous insight into how his mind works. And I wish his mind would catch up with the calendar because it's, you know, it's 2023 and that is not acceptable to me. How do we take him seriously when he interviews the next female politician or, or any woman's issue, really, if you think the woman you're interviewing is over? 30 or maybe 40, and is a husband. I don't know. I think he was trying to be cute and uh, made a terrible mistake. And I'm not sure he really believes that. I think he was trying to be edgy or something. And is, is that okay, though, when you have a position, as we both know, is a position of privilege? Oh, I don't to- think it's okay at all. I'm just trying to understand his motivation and what might have prompted him to 
make such a bonehead comment. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Up next, Lisa on the state of journalism in our polarized world. That's right after this. Hey, everyone, it's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm curious to get your thoughts on sort of the modern media landscape. You know, linear television is declining every day. And as the demand declines, salaries are going down as well. And I'm just curious how you feel about misinformation, disinformation, truth decay, as it's sometimes been called, living in a in a post-factual world. It's just so dramatically different than it was when we started out. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on all of this change? I mean, I, I always think we've never been more informed and less enlightened. It's a difficult time because of misinformation. And I, I don't understand why people cede their power of critical thinking. I mean, traditional media where people are getting paid 
to work hard, to learn a craft. It's like, would you go to Twitter if you had colon cancer and get advice? You know, if you had a lump in your breast, would you go to Instagram? No, you'd go to a doctor. So if you want a fact on what's going on in Ukraine or Afghanistan at this moment, why wouldn't you go to people who are professional journalists who've learned this is a craft that we've honed and that's our our only job is to gather facts. And so I'm worried because I feel like we need a, some kind of correction in the in the world right now to expose the misinformation. It's not that difficult to check your sources. I mean, I've always believed media literacy is as important as math, maybe more important than math right now. Since we have a phone, we can quickly calculate. We don't really use our brain the way we had to. And that worries me. I mean, Finland, for example, it is now in kindergarten, part of the curriculum to teach the difference between real news, fake news, misinformation, disinformation. This should be everywhere. And I think during the pandemic, one of the biggest legacies was misinformation. And there were nights I used to feel like we're spending half the time correcting false information. And sometimes that came from the highest levels of power. And that is very disconcerting. So there is a lot of work to do here. And we can't, any of us, stop. Do you think the genie's out of the bottle that media literacy is our best hope? Because it seems to me that correcting disinformation, that it's too pervasive, it's become too ubiquitous to to kind of corral it at this point. I, d- I don't know. Can't, can't, can't. I mean, honestly, we can't accept that. We have to keep fighting to expose misinformation. And I, I don't know, we are seeing it. We're seeing it crumble in certain places and then it pops like whack-a-mole, yes. you know? Uh, <laughs> and that is frustrating. But I don't feel it's something we can ever, I mean, we're seeing trust being eroded in all of the institutions of society. Right. Yes, I agree. And I'm curious how you feel about this move towards more commentary on cable news. You know, for so long, I've just been trained or I was trained as a journalist. And now I'm I'm more outspoken because I have my own company and I can speak out about things that I am passionate about, about gun violence or helping people understand sort of our changing notions of gender identity. But I never gave my opinion on anything. And now it is tonally so different, particularly in cable news and prime time. And I'm I'm wondering how you feel about that. I feel it's one of the reasons for the erosion, actually. If people want to know what's happening in the world, you need on-the-ground field reporters who can cover it through their eyes, trusted eyes, show us what's happening. Don't give me your opinion. I I I do love, I've got to be honest, I'm a complete newspaper junkie for columns well thought out. I just love right. it. I love reading that. 
I don't know. I, I feel that is part of the problem. And I don't know if it's a money thing. I have no idea why it seems like that's taken over. I think it's because a shrinking audience, you have to get a certain piece of the pie. So instead of giving information, which I think people don't necessarily have a visceral response to, right? And it takes intellectual work to be a critical thinker, mm-hmm. that to get sort of a like-minded audience who wants to hear kind of a reinforcement or validation of their own pre-existing views, that they gravitate towards people who reflect those views. But in the end, what have you learned, actually? Like, if you look at the situation on the ground in Ukraine right now, I mean, you can hear all of the the chat, we'll call it chat. It is only, though, the very rare, which is still still there, it's still there, you know, the generals who've experienced war in any Afghanistan or Iraq who can look at the actual battlefront and give you some knowledge that might give you an insight into where it's going next. But the general, I don't know with general chat if we're actually informing the public. And I I agree with you. I am trained also to just give the facts. And that's a comfortable place to be because I know what to do with facts. I'm seeing something. I'm asking questions. I'm getting answers. And that is the fact for that moment in that place. And we reflect it back. Otherwise, I don't know. I'm not equipped. I couldn't possibly give people an opinion that would be worth it for a conflict of that nature or any of this, these things. I don't understand actually why it's shifted so dramatically onto the chat format and away from news. That's why I ask, could it be money in the sense that fewer resources in the industry at large mean fewer field reporters? That's definitely part of it. I mean, producing an in-studio show with People giving their opinions is a lot less expensive than having foreign bureaus and having reporters on the ground. And, you know, I think there's still obviously places that do that and do it well. And I also think having Donald Trump as president presented certain challenges to news organizations in terms of how they handled misinformation that he was perpetuating, that the president of the United States was perpetuating. And if they corrected him, they would be considered biased or criticized him, or it it, it made it even more complex and even murkier. And I'm curious sort of along those lines to get your opinion on Fox News, because in the Dominion lawsuit, it's come to its surface. And I'm sure you've been reading about this, Lisa, that their primetime anchors knew that there were falsehoods being perpetrated by people about a stolen election, but they also knew their audience, and they were afraid they were gravitating to more more conservative upstart networks like Newsmax. And so they intentionally lied to their audience, and they told them what they wanted to hear. And To me, that is such a betrayal and so craven. And as Rupert Murdoch himself said, it was a business decision. Now, the question is, 
do Fox News viewers even care that they were lied to? That That's a question. And also accountability. Democracy is something we should protect and not allow. I think, I don't know what the viewership is at the moment for Fox. I assume it's gone down since Trump. Yeah, but they're still the highest rated cable network. In the United States. So I wasn't shocked by any of that. I guess I was um, surprised that he, uh, you know, under oath admitted they knew it was a lie. Um, It's all about the principles of journalism. And I guess maybe therein lies the difference. At one point, you've got to declare yourself. You're either a journalist or you're not. And we all do have to follow some kind of code of ethics or else it just becomes a, a circus. And that has been a dangerous circus in what's unfolded and perpetuating the lie in America. And um, this has all been a learning experience, I think, for everybody since 2016 and the world. It's not just an American situation. It is a world question now. And uh, that makes it really important that we don't take our eye off the ball and see what are the consequences of this admittance on the stand that, yes, our on-air people, I'm not going to call them journalists, if they've been lying, openly, knowingly lying, that's not journalism 101, let's face it. It's it's wrong, and I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. Do you have a clue of where it might go? I don't, because I think a lot of Fox News viewers are convinced that this was the case, despite all evidence to the contrary, that the election was somehow stolen, and that's something that Donald Trump continues to say. And I think because it's not being covered where they're getting their news, I'm not sure it will have an impact on their viewership. Yeah, that's the dangerous element to all of it. You hear what you want to hear, selective hearing. And I don't know what the way around that is, except we are in a polarized world right now. It has probably been never this bad in history, the last six years, growing though. And I do, as I said, I feel there is going to be a correction because it can't stand. This can't continue this way. Misinformation, which is the greatest threat to democracy. People just don't even realize what they're they're letting slip through their fingers. And I, I will again point to having just been in countries where it's just a word, free press and media freedom and democracy. These are just words. And we take it for granted. And that is very disheartening for me to see on a global scale. It really is. We don't know how lucky we have it. Are Canadians as polarized as Americans? I would say we are. We're growing. We are very polarized in this country. The, the world is. It's the same in the UK. It's the same in France. It, it, there's, there's probably not a Western country right now that is not as polarized. And I sadly will say the reason that the central theme of it is people coming on one side or the other of immigration. 
And that is the part that really personally hurts me, having covered so many of these conflicts around the world. And I'm going to speak specifically to what's happening in Afghanistan. And, you know, nobody wants to leave their culture, their language, their friends, their relatives willingly and go to a country where they don't know anything. It's because it's a life or death situation. And I think, sadly, that is one of the reasons that has generated this division in the world. What do we do with victims of conflict? I mean, certainly Afghanistan is, I'm going to use the term gender apartheid, what's happening that, you know, little girls can no longer go to school and women who for 20 years have been going to university and working and now they're, they're hiding. The women I know personally are hiding in their basements. They're putting their kids, their little girls through secret schools. This is not okay. This is not okay. And I, I don't know, I'm going on a bit of a tangent there, but it is something I think does not get enough coverage now. And I understand why. Being in the industry, we know we only have a capacity for so much conflict and then people sort of turn away. But um, this is one I think we need to refocus on. I really do. And again, it does come down to the politics of, of crisis and how we weaponize it, sadly. I agree. I agree. I mean, yes. I think modern politicians are more interested in using issues against each other than actually fixing anything. And it's so sad because that is such a position of privilege, really. You're an elected official. You're put in a position to work for the public. I don't know. I can't. I, I have trouble with I have trouble with a lot of these things. But at like you, I mean, I, I also wasn't speaking out about things like that. Now I, I can speak freely about what I see. What I see specifically, as I said, I know there are issues with Indigenous women in this country and your country and immigrant women, but I really do think there's more we can do as a society. Is it liberating in some ways to be able to address some of these issues that you couldn't address when you were anchoring an evening newscast? Absolutely, it is. I mean, there's there's things that you could say to your team <laughs> around the pod, but you wouldn't say on air if you felt that any particular government wasn't doing enough, wasn't fulfilling an obligation that they'd made to whomever, uh, domestically or internationally. And yeah, now I, I can. I mean, I'm not I'm not really that person to be honest politically, but but I can now. And in an opportunity, if I'm asked, I, I don't have to shy away from it. And there's there's definitely liberty in that. It's about what we do with our voices that can help empower younger women, I think. Lisa, do you think you have a book in you? I don't know. I, I marveled at your book that you remembered so much. I feel sometimes if I ever wanted to sit down and write the book, how would I? And I do. I have box loads of handwritten notebooks and all of that. And it seems like a mammoth operation to even open them and look through it. But maybe one day I'll know when the time is right. <laughs> well, listen, Lisa, thank you so much for spending all this time. It's been a real pleasure. I feel like 
we're old friends now that we <laughs> sat down over a long, potentially boozy lunch. Yeah, we need that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of these, hopefully. Yeah, next time, next time with cocktails. Yeah. Anyway, good luck to you, and thanks again for coming on the podcast. I'm, I'm really grateful. It was really great to talk to you, Katie, and I, I just so appreciate the opportunity to sort of share some of the things we've both experienced, and, uh, and the passion I think we both share for the industry that uh, we don't want to see destroyed. It's a wonderful profession, and I think we both feel very fortunate to have had the careers we've we've had. And hey, we're not dead yet. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Katie. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have a question for me or want to share your thoughts about how you navigate this crazy world, reach out. You can leave a short message at 609 609- or you can send me a DM on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. Next Question is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. Our supervising producer is Marcy Thompson. Our producers are Adriana Fazio and Catherine Law. Our audio engineer is Matt Russell, who also composed our theme music. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to the description in the podcast app or visit us at katiecouric.com. You can also find me on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey everyone, it's Katie Couric, and I want to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called A Really Good Cry with the amazing Roddy Devlukia, a plant-based chef, entrepreneur, and now a podcast host who will guide you through a journey of self-discovery, one tear at a time. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Roddy Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.